The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Welcome, everybody. I hope that Thanksgiving treated you well, that you took in your fill and got a little sleep in the process. My name is Ryan Church. I'm glad that you have chosen to join us for the final standard in of fall quarter. The quarter might be over, but it's not done. Kind of like an infomercial where we say, but wait, there's more. You heard a little bit about it in that uh, creative video that we saw earlier. That next week, uh, I do invite you to join us. It's going to be in the middle of your finals week, but I know for sure that you could use the break at 8 p.m. next week, an hour earlier, um, down in the sanctuary, which the sanctuary here is decorated brilliantly for Christmas. And if you just need a time to relax, take a load off, as I was talking with the SMAs yesterday, um, as Riley said, if you need to scratch that Christmas itch, this is the place for you to be. Next week, 8 o'clock, down in the sanctuary, we're going to sing some Christmas songs and just enjoy a great time of fellowship. So please join us for that. Tonight, uh, if you want to get some of your Christmas shopping started for yourself or otherwise, uh, there is a book table in back. Harvest Logo's book is here. Everything tonight, 20% off, and all major credit cards are accepted. So yeah, go ahead and check that out. And then also at the beginning of this quarter, I... Uh, drew attention to this uh, when we talked about Jesus' baptism and invited uh, you to also consider baptism. And uh, we're going to do that at the winter retreat, which is not until the end of January. But if you know that that is something that is on your radar, something that you are considering if you've never been baptized, uh, there's a, a bit of an info table over on the side uh, tonight. And after the end, I invite you to come over and talk with me. About that. So, those are the announcements for tonight. Let's, let's get started with the text that we are going to jump into tonight because we are wrapping up our series through the Gospel of Mark. A series where we've been asking the question, what did Jesus do? With our hope that, that for those of us that maybe have been familiar with this question of what would Jesus do, that if we're going to have any real good shot at responding to that question, we need to know actually what Jesus did based on the testimony of Scripture. So our hope throughout this series has been to watch Jesus and those around him in an effort to guide us in our faith. To watch Jesus and those around him to guide us in our faith. Through events like baptism, through the feeding of the thousands that you heard Tyler talk about a few weeks ago, through the miracles that you've, you've heard from Janie and, and the teachings, we have seen a man in Jesus that has turned our worldview, by and large, upside down. That that's what, that's what Jesus did. That, that these expectations that we have and the way that we've been seeing, he's saying, we're going to make a giant change and turn some of these things on, on their head. Through many of those same events, miracles, teachings, the calling of the disciples, eating with tax collectors and sinners, we see that any notion that we have of a distant or detached or arbitrary king is being totally demolished. 
We saw that even a bit last week when we looked at the dark side of the cross. And instead, what we get is the picture of one, of a king that is sold out to being in loving relationship with his beloved creation, his son and daughters. We get a vision for a different type of king and a different type of God. The expectations that we have have had about what, what does what does the king of heaven, what does the, the king of the earth, the king of all things, what might he really be like, look like? In, in Jesus, through this, this gospel of Mark, we've seen that our expectations have been totally, totally shattered. So tonight we come to look, not again at the dark side of the cross, but to look at the other side of the cross, what I like to call the bright side of the cross. As we, as we come into this season of Advent, where we prepare ourselves for the coming of our Lord, we're going to mess with the church calendar a little bit tonight and celebrate Easter in the process. And I think it's an appropriate way for us to end this series that we've been doing in Mark, to end this series and begin the Christmas season. Because... It's what happened, it's what happens during a person's life that makes the birthday worth celebrating, right? I mean, if George Washington had not been the general of an, of an upstart, uh, military in an upstart country and then gone on to be its president, would we really celebrate his birthday? No, it's because of what happens in people's lives that we go and we recognize their birth. Now, I, I bring up perhaps this childish, if not uh, obvious train of thought on a night when we're going to talk about the bright side of the cross for a few related reasons. Because for me, this season of Advent, is Jordan and Tom in the video communicated, is a season that I also love. I love the anticipation of Christmas. And I come from a family that doesn't have many many, many traditions. But even at Christmas, we have some beloved traditions as well. It just so happens that my birthday falls in this season as well. Next Wednesday, for those of you keeping track at home. <laughs> Frankly, it's worked against me throughout my, my life as, as it seems way too often I've, I've heard the pithy line, Oh, Ryan, this is your Christmas and your birthday present. And I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. These are two separate fun entities and events. You can get two different presents for that. I love it when it gets cold outside. I love putting on uh, sweaters and sleeves. I love White Christmas. I love It's a Wonderful Life. But to be totally honest, I love National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation all the more. Dad, that tree wouldn't fit in our front yard. It's not going in our front yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. A line that I seek to recycle every year as, as Julie and I go cut down our tree. I love Christmas lights. I love, I love this season in general. But there's also a reality to this season of Advent and, and everything, even into Christmas Eve, that I do spend more time considering Jesus. I consider my own faith as much as I do at any other time of year. So as we consider that God came as a small child, I want us to consider not only the beginning of this story, but the part of the story that makes this beginning worth celebrating. Why? 
Because this event that we're going to look at tonight, the bright side of the cross, this is the moment that the Christian faith hinges on. This is the moment that, that, that matters most. If it is true that this Jesus of Nazareth, this baby born of Mary, who were told cast out demons and ate with tax collectors and sinners who performed merry miracles, was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day rose again. What does that mean for us? Because if that happened, if it's true, it means that this Jesus the Nazarene is not just Jesus the Nazarene. As Mark said in chapter 1, verse 1, his goal was to say, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Friends, if this resurrection really happened, then Jesus the Nazarene is also Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the event that makes the Christian faith what it is. Let me pray for us as we get started tonight. Lord, as we prepare to celebrate your coming, help us to know and see all the more of your going. Help us to know and grasp all the more what we celebrate at this season through looking at the resurrection. Lord, help us by your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we jump into the scripture tonight, I want to prime the pump with an image and a video that I know that many of you have seen. And I think it is a great bridge from this dark side of the cross. And when we talk about what Jesus entered into and went through in his death and what happens in this resurrection, I think it is as fine of image as any in in popular film. So... Uh, I direct your attention to uh, the screens to see our good friend, uh, Mr. Dupree, as he seeks to escape from Shawshank Prison. And for those, uh, I do want to preface this, that that for those that are offended by some cultural euphemisms that we have, i.e. four-letter words, uh, there is one in here. I apologize for that in advance, uh, but also feel that if there's ever a time where this word needs to be left in, It is for this clip. So enjoy this from the Shawshank Redemption. It's a great image that we see in that movie. And for those of you that have not seen it, it is phenomenal. We could probably do an entire sermon series on some of the the spiritual and Christian themes that come out of of that film. But what you just saw was this, this great picture of what we talked about last week and what Scott did this 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 painting from is is that the son of man entered into that very crap in in that image of of having to go through it only to come out alive on the other end and it's something that that the text doesn't visually lead us into but something that I want you that's the image I want you thinking about as we come to the expectations of those that came in the text so as we come to the final chapter of mark allow what we've just seen to to be a part of what has happened but now we pick up the story the next day we begin in mark 16 verse 1 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother James, and Salome brought spices that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Because so much of what we looked at this quarter has to do with expectations, I want to break this text down based on what I think some of the expectations were of the three women that we just saw cruise into the tomb. Okay, they're going carrying spices to anoint Jesus' body in order that they might limit some of the stinky realities of a decomposing body. Verse 3 gives us a look into the first concern they have as they bring these spices. And I love that Mark included this detail. Who is going to roll away the big rock? I love that they have this big concern. That while going there, they're kind of worried about what they're going to encounter when they get there. I recall several years ago, when I got to travel around Europe by myself... One of the great things about traveling by yourself is that you have the opportunity to be very nimble. You're not having to negotiate others' hopes and and desires. And it allows you, in some ways, to kind of put things off until the last minute. And I took full advantage of that. Traveling throughout Europe, I often had no idea where I was going or where I was going to stay. And if I did know, I wasn't positive that I was going to be able to find it. And there was always this question of... Where am I going to be able to find a place to stay? This, this mystery as I went, went along. But that never stopped me from enjoying the travels or even hopping on that train or that plane to go to the next destination, wherever that may be. Perhaps you've done the same thing in a mission trip or, or your own travels. But what I see here is though there are logistical issues, these women are not going to let that get in the way. They were no doubt a little less chipper than I was as I was traveling uh, about Europe, but they were not going to let a logistical challenge stop them from seeing this one that they loved, from continuing this relationship as they mourn. Isn't that another thing that we've seen throughout this text? A God that is so committed to relationship and calls us to that relationship as well. The fact that they were preoccupied with this giant rock tips their hand as to some of the other expectations that they may have had. Though they likely hoped 
that Jesus the, was the Messiah, this great king, at one point, they were, they were likely letting go of that. And they were simply going as an act of love. They were going to see something that they expected to be there, Jesus' body. And instead, we're told there was a young man in a white robe. Now, both because of, of the meaning behind this white robe and because Matthew's gospel uh, tells us that it is an angel, let's take, let's take it at that, that this person they've seen is an angel. And at, at this point, these women, when they come and they see that the logistical challenge is no challenge at all, the rock has been ro- rolled away. Expectation number one, it's been decimated. Two, they expect to see Jesus. They don't see Jesus. Now now they're going, okay, this is not what we expected. Are we in the right place? Are we in the right place? Great story about being in the right place or not. In high school, there was this this, uh, dude that I went to school with that was a fun, well-liked, outgoing guy that was... Sometimes, uh, you know, given or persuaded towards the party scene a little bit. And I don't know if it just has to do with growing up in a smaller town. But in given that that was a bit of his persuasion, he often had no trouble getting his hands on what we might call adult beverages. And so, you know, I mean, this this dude is, you know, he's in high school. He's underage, similar to me. And, and on this one night, he happens to come across said adult beverages and here's about this party that's kind of going on on the other side of town he's like oh sweet you know i've got these beverages if i you know if i bounce in there with this i'm going to be i'm going to be the hero of this party and it's going to be awesome so sure enough you know though he doesn't know exactly where it's at he kind of bounces over there and drives around until he sees a bunch of parked cars and you know uh, a house with its light lights on so he's like okay well pretty sure it's this place so he grabs a case of said beverages underneath each arm and goes bouncing up to the door, knocks on it, and sure enough, there are there's a bunch of people in there having a good time, singing songs, but there's there's one problem. He he had shown up to this this party, this gathering with said adult beverages, and it was the Young Life Christmas party. <laughs> so so in a bit of a crisis, those of, those of you that, that don't know what Young Life is, it's a parachurch organization that seeks to introduce high school students to Jesus. And, and so this, go, this guy goes bouncing up there. And in great Young Life fashion, they're like, oh, well, hey, we're so glad you're here. Why don't you leave those there and come on in? You know, so, so we did. And, and I'd love to tell you, and that, and that night right there, he gave his life to Jesus. I, don't, I could say that, but I don't know if it's true. It'd make for a great story for sure. But I don't know if it's true. But isn't that, isn't, isn't that a great story of wondering if you're in the right place? And with our three women, can you imagine that when they walk up and the, the rock is cast aside and the person they're expecting to see is not there, they're going, are we in the right place? This is nothing of what we expected. And, and it is as if the angel knows that this is what is going on in their minds. He's saying, in, in essence, I know why you're here. You are looking for Jesus. And I know that you expected to find him. A friend 
who you love, who you hope was the Messiah, based on everything that you have seen and heard that we've also heard in the Gospel of Mark. But he is not here, for he is risen. He is not dead. He is alive, and you will see him. Their expectations had been blown up. They had given up hope that this was this king, this suffering servant that they had hoped for. Because they saw him die on the cross. Yet, the story's not over. He is not here, for he has risen. This guy is more powerful than you ever gave him credit for. This Jesus of Nazareth is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, from here, we could continue sharing in the longer story of the Gospel of Mark. And I feel that that uh, before we, we move forward, we need to address the notation that if you brought your Bible, you will see comes after uh, verse 8. And to skip over that, I think we'd be skipping over a question that many of you might have. And the notation says this. After verse 8, it says, The earliest manuscripts... And some other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 to 20. Okay, so what do we do with this notation and the text that follows? Now, again, this is hundreds, if not thousands of years of scholarship. And I'm going to try and condense it into two paragraphs. Uh, here, it goes a little something like this. In the earliest uh, manuscripts of, of Mark, it ends following verse, verse 8. Now, I, I don't want to get bogged down in, in all that goes into it, but let's think about it like this. One, one theory is that at the end of this story, at the end of the, the actual dark document, the parchment that it was written on, that part of the document just accidentally got ripped off or disintegrated or something. But it wasn't there. The way I think about it is like this. Let's say that uh, you know, you're out skiing with some friends and at lunch... You, you get uh, a Snickers bar. And as you are ready to just dig into that which really satisfies, you rip open that, that, that wrapper, dive in, and then I come bounce, bouncing up and I see the wrapper there and I look at it and I say, oh, I say, oh, it looks like you're having a Snicker bar. There's no S there. You, you ripped it off. And you probably don't even take the time to correct me and, and say, no, it's a Snickers. You're probably like, oh yeah, I got a Snickers and it's so good. Okay, you got you got your mouth full. You are not. You didn't throw that that wrapper out on the table to try in and get me to believe that what you're eating was something different. But simply, the end of the wrapper got ripped off. And I just want to offer that up as as one of the explanations of what happened here. Now, I personally believe that this was not the intended end. Verse eight was not the intended end of the Gospel of Mark. I think that that's kind of what happened, that, that we, we lost the end of the text and that what you get in 9 to 20 is an effort on the part of perhaps probably somebody other than Mark to do their best job at finishing, finishing the rest of the gospel. Perhaps it was even people that heard this gospel told orally. So before we give in to all sorts of different conspiracy theories about, oh, why isn't that there? And before we allow this to shatter our faith and go, oh, man, you know, there's too many different versions of the Bible. I can't. No, no, no. This is an ancient document. Part of it fell apart. And 
the, the people that, that are, are actually trying to be very forthright in saying, hey, this is an add-on. So, so allow this to, to say, to, to be an honest part of what we get in the text with that notation. But tonight is, I share a few reflections before we come to the Lord's table. I, I don't want to speculate on what might or might not be there. I want to share just two reflections with you. We're not going to do three. It's finals week. You guys are already overloaded. <laughs> just two reflections on the text that we have already read. On what is there. What these women have found as they come to the tomb only to find it with an angel and without Jesus of Nazareth. What does this empty tomb and the reaction of these women, the words of this angel, mean for us? First, I want to hone in on those most important words. He is not here for he has risen. The dark side of the cross that we looked at last week gave witness to a king, a suffering servant, that showed us that there is no distance that this king wouldn't go to be with his beloved creation, to be with his people. The bright side of the cross, for he has risen, shows us that he is actually capable of it. It's not just that he goes there. The bright, side, the bright side shows us that he can. That he can go there and that doesn't win. It's the power of God, this God of life, that wins. It means that with Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus who is the Christ, the Son of God, we see a God whose primary concern is life. It means that death no longer has dominion. Death is no longer the ultimate. It means that, that the meaning of life goes beyond merely you live, you die, you, or you live, you pay taxes, you die. It gives us so much more than that. God's priority is life. It means that our expectations of what life our lives mean is shattered. It means there's so much more. And to boot, it enters us in from being merely temporary to eternal. Sometimes we skip over the fact or we take for granted the fact that even right now, we are living into our eternal lives. The invitation of the bright side of the cross is that we enter into more than just the temporary. We also enter into the eternal. Something that's huge. And in finals week, we have little shot at getting our minds around. But it means that there's something so much bigger. For he is not here. He has risen. Let's do life different. Let's do life better. I have come that you would have life and have it to the full. Second, the text in in verse 8 says, They went out and fled from the tomb. The message sent to these women 
in an empty tomb in this sign of a resurrected Jesus is get out of here and go live. Did you catch that? They fled. The message is leave this place of death. Go from here and live. And in that same promise in John 10, go live and live it to the full. The empty tomb shows us that the story is not over. The game is not over. That, that it is still to be played. The story is not over. Death didn't win. There is something that I'm drawn to about finishing the Gospel of Mark at, at the end of verse 8. What if this is some sort of crazy act of God to finish the text here so that we might not simply explore the faith of the early church and those that have gone before us, but to explore our own faith and the expectations that we have surrounding it. And what I mean by that is, what if the story ends at verse 8 and the invitation is you fill in the rest of that story. What if the invitation is something to draw us in and to allow allow our story to be meshed into God's story? Not to try and get God to fit into our story, but for us to enter our lives into this story of a resurrected Jesus that is unique to our relationship with him based on the new expectations that we've come up with through what we've seen in an entire gospel. What if it ends here and we understand it is an invitation for us to enter into this story all the more? Do we believe in Easter Sunday? Do we take it for granted? I'll tell you, I do. Often. Are we, like these women that have come to the tomb, in awe of the work of God that is present in front of them? He is not here, for he is risen. Are we looking for the ways that Jesus might be going before us? Remember, that was one of the things. He's going before you into Galilee. Are we looking for the ways that Jesus is going before us? Are we seeking the task that he might be calling us to in bringing about the good news of the kingdom of God? Friends, this is our challenge tonight. Do we believe in the empty tomb? Do we believe that this resurrection of this man that truly lived, nobody's going to question that. Do we believe that he really rose from the dead? Friends, if you do, you either are a Christian or you're real, real close. If there is one that was crucified, dead, and buried, and then rose again, it demands our faith. It wins our respect. And we can follow this Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, 
an invitation in an empty tomb to relationship with the living God. We are in relationship with a living God. And it is that reality that we celebrate as we come to this table. As we have the opportunity, as it says in the Gospel of Luke, on on Jesus' resurrection day, Jesus made himself known to followers through the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup. He continued to show himself to believers by blessing and breaking bread, having common meals with them. And it is an invitation to remember the living and present God. In these elements, there is this mysterious sense of presence and the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. We remember Christ's promise of life, love, and his continuing presence with his people. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we ask that by your spirit we might know your presence with each of us. That we might join with those who have gone before. That we might be nourished with your body and your blood as we seek to be your people. Lord, we long to know you. We long to be with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here at the inn, we serve communion by intinction, which is simply a fancy word for break some of the bread off and dip it in the cup. We've got several stations around the room that we invite you to. Scripture tells us that when we come to this table, that there's also an invitation to reflect, uh, to to think about um, the trustworthiness of God, um, to live into God's life. It's a chance to confess sin and trust that we are forgiven, to put our weight into that reality. I invite all of us tonight to consider the reality of the cross. If we are Christian, to not take this resurrection for granted. And if you've not yet put your weight down on Jesus, I invite you to consider what's keeping you from it. What? Try and put your finger on, on how does Jesus need to win your respect? Why don't you believe in this resurrection? And finally, I, I want to make it clear that that if you, if you have made this confession of faith, but find yourself in a place of doubt tonight, you, you are still invited to this table. This is a table of assurance where we are reminded of God's grace and his love for us. So please, don't let your doubt keep you, but take this as a sign of assurance that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And also, there's people in back that would love to come alongside you in prayer tonight as we come into a time of reflection um, and worship and song. The gifts of God for the people of God. Come and eat.